Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. As always, I'm your host, one of your hosts, Mike Levito. I'm Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen Levito. And we're here to do the Real Life Oscar Challenge, where we watch every Oscar nominated, every Best Picture nominated movie of our lifetimes, and we talk about it. It's a very special episode this week. We're coming to you instead of not live from Lars' bedroom. Not live from an Airbnb in Charlotte, North Carolina. This episode might be a little more echoey than you're used to because there's really no comfortable way to cram all of ourselves into a bedroom here. I don't believe that. I think we could cuddle. The boys have problems with that. I don't want to sit on a bed. And the microphone will be bouncing around. (laughs) Yeah. There's no good way to put things, so we'll have to deal. I've definitely listened to podcasts with worse audio. So, anyway, let's, let's get down to business. Let's, with our southernmost movie. The year was 2008. It was the year that Barack Obama was elected as the first African-American president of the United States. It was also the year that the global financial markets went to crap. Most importantly, it was the year that five movies were nominated for Best Picture. Also the year that I turned 14, Lars turned 13, Catherine turned 12, and five movies were nominated for Best Picture, namely... The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, The Reader, and Slumdog Millionaire. So let's let's get down to it. The first movie we'll be talking about is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, directed by David Fincher, written by Eric Roth and Robin Swigord, based on the short story of the same name by F. Scott Fitzgerald, starring Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett, Taraji P. Henson, Julia Orman, Jason Fleming, Elias Cautias. Tilda Swinton, and Jared Harris. Benjamin Button is the story of a quite peculiar child who was born... You look very confused, Kathleen. Who does Tilda Swinton play? She's the swimmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, story of a quite peculiar child who was born essentially as an 80-year-old man but the size of an infant um, in New Orleans. He's left on the doorstop of a nursing home that's run by Taraji P. Henson who raises him as her own. Um, it turns out he's aging in reverse, so he's born essentially as an 80-year-old with cataracts and arthritis and the whole bit. But as he ages, he, you know, sort of ages into prime Brad Pitt and then ages down into a baby, which I have problems with, but we'll discuss those. But um, mentally, he's not aging. Mentally, he's mentally he's aging the way that a normal person would age. So he's like a baby 80-year-old. Physically, no, he's not. Yeah, he yeah. is. He no, ha- he's not. Yes. Yeah. He forgets how to read when he was young, when he gets young. Right, because yeah. he gets dementia. Yeah, and like Alzheimer's. No, he doesn't. Yes, yes. it's like when they find <laughs> when they find him as a, like a teenager. They're like, the doctor said if they didn't know any better, they'd think he had dementia. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, it's a story of his life. Um, he, he sees lots of important things of the 20th century, um, and of course, the relationship with Kate Blanchett, his sort of childhood friend, and they become on and off again lovers and the whole thing. Um, Lars, what did you think of this movie? So there's a few times this year I'm going to have to preface. I feel like I liked every movie this year, which is (laughs) going to be a controversial opinion. (laughs) I feel like the movies this year really spoke to the finding the finite joy in life and just like seizing those little moments and like kind of meeting someone in the middle. Um, These movies all spoke to me in a certain way for reasons we won't go into this year. Um, 
Look, Benjamin Button. Kind of a fucked up story. However, I think it's a good story about coming of age. I think it's a deconstruction about coming of age. Um, and like having to grapple with the fact that no matter like how far you go and what you do, you'll kind of never have enough. But that life is sort of about finding your person and meeting in the middle and knowing that it's finite and trying to make the most of that. Um, I, I just, I think there's like a weird beauty kind of in the middle of this movie. And it's like, it's a tragedy because like he knows that he cannot be there for her in the end because the Kate Blanchett that is because um, she wants to have a kid and he can't raise a child obviously because he's going to become a child <laughs> um, and like it's a very painful moment where like after you know they've moved in together and they've fallen in love and he kind of has to to leave as she gets older and he gets younger um, I, and I just, I just I think it's a good deconstruction of like aging and of like the game of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that there's like brilliant camera work or editing at play. Um, I just think it's a good and unique story. That's my that's my feel. Kathleen. Okay, good and New York unique story. I will I will agree to that. Um, interesting twist on a coming of age movie. I will agree to that. Do I like? how they did that interesting twist? No, I did not. I think it was lame that they made it a love story. When it's just like, it could have, they could have like had so many interesting narratives outside of that. Um, Like my favorite parts of this movie when he's off doing his, like Brad Pitt's off doing his own thing and living his own life because like they didn't really realize he was aging backwards until like really far along. Um, So, you know, he was like, grew up being told like you're gonna die any day now because he was like an 80 year old man as a child um so he learned like oh i wasn't supposed to make it to this age supposedly so let me like do all the things that i can do to like live a really cool and awesome life and he goes on adventures and he like um goes fishing and things like that um and that i think is really cool and i would have liked to like have more of that like my favorite part was when he was like prime age doing prime age things there was like no part where i cared about their love story it was like that whole narrative was like super short i felt and just kind of like crammed in there because you know it's gonna end and like there's no like there's no like secret that they're gonna do something different also we didn't even like cover the fact at this point like the story is told from like a flashback perspective Mm -hmm. so it's like what is her name? Kate Blanchett is like dying in a hospital. She's so (laughs) old. old. And she is telling her daughter, who is also Benjamin Button's daughter, about the story of Benjamin Button. But you don't, she doesn't know. She doesn't know that. Like, it's a weird, like, trick to play on your kid. Um, I don't, I was just underwhelmed with this movie, is all I'm gonna say. Yeah. I'll, so, you, so Kathleen's least favorite part is the love story. I kind of think that's the 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 film. I can't remember if we talked about this, but this film kind of reminds me of Forrest Gump. Yeah. But like, it does it so much better. <laughs> it's like I actually think this is a better version of Forrest Gump, where it's like the Forrest Gump love story is actually like kind of weird and creepy. And yeah, like no, it. it's not a good. Whereas like this one, it's like it's so like in the middle, and it's like you find the person you love and you meet in the middle, 
and you know it's doomed and you know it's going to end but like you just got to steal those little moments and like run um but like the rest of it is yeah like you said like trying to live the best life and then trying to be a responsible person I can kind of get down with that I, I just think this movie it just feels so 90s to me like it feels like mm. a 90s movie and it's just based on this like just like very homespun wisdom homespun southern wisdom and I just found it so like it just did not speak to me and like I, I, I get the sort of like I don't know the the I the love story to me I don't know like if you're on your deathbed you're just gonna tell your daughter about how much sex you had with her dad which is basically what she does yeah. like that's a huge part of it and it's like really creeped me out yeah um I I actually don't like Kate Blanchett's performance in this I do not either um I know this has become like she's I just think she's in a very good Brad Pitt's fine Brad Pitt I can watch do anything but like. I, I just didn't... Except Ad Astra. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's... I guess he's okay at that. I think it's more the writing's fault. But, um... My whole thing, I just, like... So, it's it's supposed to be kind of optimistic and touching and all of that. I found it incredibly nihilistic. Like, I found the idea that this guy is gonna live all his life, but he's just gonna de-age to a baby, which... I'll, so my problem with this is that he's born an infant-sized 80-year-old. <laughs> he should die an 80-year-old-sized infant. That's and that's true. not how it works. He turns back into an infant. To me, this idea of, like, you're, you're, he's going to break down and, like, not remember any of the stuff he did and just be washed, like, sort of slowly fade away in this weird way by the people he loves, to me, is maybe, you know, kind of true to life, but it's also just so nihilistic and yeah. so sobering and so depressing. And it bums me the hell out. And I it just it, it I find the notion that he de-aged to a child to die incredibly disturbing. I can't reconcile that <laughs> without a lot of other stuff in this movie. It's just like the central conceit is just so unsettling to me. I really don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it because it's nihilistic. So but I think that's kind of the good point is there's a concept called optimistic nihilism, which is like just because nothing matters. Is like a that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it means that you can do what you want, and it's not really going to matter. Like what you do with your life, if you make a mistake, it's going to be okay. Um, it's like optimistic nihilism is. I kind of think the point of the movie. Um, I, it could I, you, you could be right. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't really buy into it. I, I will say I do think the production design is pretty good. Um, Makeup is obviously like an achievement because mm. they did all that They stuff. want makeup it's, for me, yeah. Though he looks they, they weird <laughs> when he's like in his 50s or something. There's like a certain point where he starts to look weird early Well, on. it's weird because they try to make him like a skinny teenager but also 50. And it's just yeah. like a weird combo where he's yeah. like too... He's, he, he, looks like he's, he looks like he's a cancer patient. Yeah, like it's he, creepy. Uh, I will grant that this movie has a lot of logistical questions. Like, did he go through puberty when he was 70? I he don't did. know. I guess they, they, so. They discussed that. Oh, they did like, discuss and, that. And Kate Blanchett makes her daughter read about it, which, yeah. which is creepy. But she's like fairly delusional with it. I don't care. And she dies during Katrina, which is which just is like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, That's like, like I found the whole like twenty like greatest hits of the 20th century kind of. Forced Gumpish. For, like, full and forced and a little bit. Yeah. Like, when they're, like, sailing around the country and they happen to see a rocket go up in space. Oh, yeah. And things like, come on. 
Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really. There, there, yeah, I don't know. What are you going to say? No, um, you're just without. It's, but it's like we're dispelling, let's dispense with the fiction that, 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 that like, yeah, obviously this doesn't happen. You can't age backwards. <laughs> no, I know. It's, but that's, the point is like what life is about. And it's just a way to tell us to like, God damn it, life, meet in the middle, do your thing, live a full life, no matter what you have to deal with. Sure. And, like, life has to, you have to deal with... Like, it's just an interesting way to look at, like, aging and how aging matters and age differences and... Like, I just recently got out of a relationship <laughs> with someone who was significantly older than me. I thought this movie, like, touched on that pretty well. I think it talks about the problems fairly well and all the, all the pain and all the, the hardship and sort of, like, having to make these tough choices about life. That's where I'm coming from. I don't know. Maybe I would agree with you more if it's focused mostly on that. Yeah. Like, there's just so... so this is almost like a three-hour movie. Yeah. And there's so much else that, like, goes on where he has the, the little fling with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. And, and he's in World War II. And it's just, like, a lot of... It just, like, it just like they, like, smash the love story in there. Like, like kiss now. <laughs> and, like, that... It just didn't no, seem I, right. But I kind of think that's the point. Is, like... He had to deal with this stuff in a short amount of time. Like most of your life is not actually dealing with that. Most of your life is you're learning to live a life and be a person, and then like you're being a responsible, like dying person. The very slim part in the middle isn't very long, and where you have to face those questions of like, oh god, am I ready to get married? Am I ready to have kids? Like, is this person like gonna work for me? That's a very slim thing. I just think, like, he has a whole life, and we're focusing on how, like, oh, he couldn't make it with this one girl who was, like, four years of his life. Yeah, of course it didn't get two was, hours of screen time. I think time. it was four more, like, more than four hours. It, it, was, it was close to, like, ten years. Yeah, it was a long time. The refrigerator just kicked on. You're going to hear that in the recording. Um, Not if we keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think... This movie did not speak to me. Yeah. It's just a little too sentimental... A little too goopy, and a little. It's but it's. I like, just feel it, like it's just I, scattered. And I, I wish it embraced the weirdness maybe a little bit more. Yeah. It, it it's just a little too much of like one thing. Um, I it has it. It certainly has its moments. I don't think it's all the way bad, but it's just like the concept itself just like not work for me. I think it's where I can go. Okay, we'll agree to disagree. Okay. Anything else on this, Kathleen? No. All right. Well, this was nominated. I think it had got the most nominations of any movie on Oscar night. It won visual effects. It was nominated for sound mixing, original score. It won makeup. It was nominated for costume design. It won art direction. Nominated for cinematography, editing, adapted screenplay. Taraji P. Henson was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Brad Pitt was nominated for Best Actor. David Fincher was nominated for Best Director. And, of course, it was nominated for Best Picture. That, I will say, is like the actual filmmaking part of it. I'm like, yeah. Is it like all of this movie yeah, to me yeah, is yeah. kind of the story? Uh, it's because I don't know. I like when the guy gets struck by lightning seven times. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's oh funny. that was that so good. Funny. There's this guy who's in the nursing home, and periodically he just go, "Did I ever tell you I struck by lightning seven times? One time it happened blank, and it's just this old sepia tone like thing of him like walking his dog. So he just gets struck by lightning. Um, that was, that was good. That I don't really awesome. know what the point was, but I thought it was fun. <laughs> we only see six of them, right? Well, I was in like five. I yeah, think. we don't know what the last. Some of them are. Yeah, I think there's a point there, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, 
Um, shall I move on now to Frost Nixon? Please. Directed by Ron Howard, written by Peter Morgan based on his play of the same name, starring Frank Langella, Michael Sheen, Kevin Bacon, Rebecca Hall, Toby Jones, Matthew McFadden, Oliver Platt, and Sam Rockwell. Uh, Frost Nixon, the story of the Frost Nixon interviews. David Frost, is his name David Frost? I think so. Yes, not Robert yes. Frost, David Frost. <laughs> Robert. Um, this guy who, who's kind of like a, like a showy TV host in the UK and Australia, um, after Nixon resigns, he sees a huge opportunity to get some ratings and a good TV show. And so he sets out to interview Richard Nixon. Um, essentially, his goal is to get a confession from Nixon that, you know, he participated in the Watergate, Watergate cover-up. Um, and a lot of the movie, it's told through another frame. So all these movies are told through frame, framing devices. Um, the, the, if curious case I mentioned, button it was Cape Blanchett on our deathbed. This one, it's this like documentary being made about the Frost Nixon interviews, um, and uh, so it, it's basically just about him preparing for the interview, trying to get Nixon to crack, and then the interviews themselves. Uh, Kathleen, this was your first time seeing this movie. What were your thoughts? It was. Um. So. I will enjoy Michael Sheen in everything. Anything and everything will begin there. So, beautiful performance, Michael Sheen. I adore you. The rest of the movie, it just wasn't a me movie. Yeah. Um, and I think I liked how it wasn't, but I did, for, to that point, I did really enjoy how it was more about like the character study and like about the interviews and how they're going to break each other down and the way, like the attitudes they brought to both of the interviews. Um, more than it was about like the scandal, mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciated. I actually did not leave like with that much of a deeper education on the scandals themselves. I left more like, a, oh, I learned like what these people's personalities were and like how Richard Nixon carried himself after the interviews. And like someone who is in marketing, though loosely, I'm not that committed to my career, but um, I'm always interested in seeing like how people choose to portray themselves. It's like in different situations and how Richard Nixon decided to walk away from, you know, having to resign and then being like, I'm just going to tell these fun stories about my time at the White House. Like, I'm such a likable guy. I'm your cool uncle kind of thing. And then seeing that kind of like wither away um, and them having to really like, they thought it was going to be easier to like get him to like cave. That was a fun character exploration. And human dynamic exploration. Lars? As the resident Nixon file. <laughs> um, Nixophile. So I, I had seen this before. Um, yeah, I think this movie's great. I think it's like the best portrayal. And I don't even think Frank Langella, low, Langella, Langella. <laughs> um, looks like Richard Nixon at all. There's but a, I think he yeah. portrays him really well. Yeah. Um, I think this is like so well portrayed. Um, it's just it's such a good movie about truth, about America, about like television and the power of television, um, and like about the underdogs, you know. Um, and I think it's just a good. So th- it was originally a play yeah. with the two of them as well, um, and so they converted it over to the screen. And I think this, I think they do a really good job. Um, <laughs> we'll get to you. I, I, yeah, I just think this is a, it's a good portrayal, sort of looking at like one of the darkest moments and like most interesting figures in American history um, in sort of like a modern light. And like it's 
the first like major. I mean, like, this is the only president to have ever resigned. Yeah, and they have to like. How does America handle with like the lies, and how do we like find a catharsis with the truth? And like Robert Frost is kind of like the per- David Frost. Sorry, he's kind of like the perfect foil for that because he's like a foreign journalist. Everyone kind of underestimates him. Um, whereas like Richard Nixon is like this resentful, angry. Um, person and there's like a lot of di- I took so many notes on this movie and I left them all in DC um, but like th- there's so many good quotes in this movie I think and it's like Nixon is talking with Frost and he's like um, you know they all they all look down on the two of us it's like mm-hmm. we will never be good enough for them no matter yeah. how, how hard we try and I just think oh I think that's so good um and then at the beginning of the movie, Robert Frost, David Frost, sorry, <laughs> um, he's talking about um, like fame in America. Ooh, so good. And he's like, um, um, he's like, success in America is unlike success anywhere else. It's like in the emptiness when it like leaves, mm. um, that it's gone and it will never come back. Is ooh chilling, chilling? Because I think it's a good way of it, much like. Kanye West 2010 LP, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. <laughs> it's a good like look at like fame and like villainy in America. Um, all right, I'll stop talking. <laughs> that's all fair. So like this is gonna be, I feel like a episode where there are just like stupid things I can't get over and they kind of ruin the movie for me. And for me, that's definitely the framing device in this, where I hate, I hate, 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 hate the stupid documentary thing they did in this. I think the actors all deliver it so poorly because I don't think there's a good way to pretend like you're in a documentary. It's just, it's so unnecessary. Oh, I forgot about that it's part. It's so unnecessary. It's just, it's it's just, there's, they're not convincing at all. Just, just tell me the damn story without holding my hand and doing all of this. Like, it's just so, it's just so annoying. I, I hate it. I hate, I hate I hate people pretending like they're being spontaneous in, in a documentary, especially when they're not doing it good, which is what happens here. I totally... So that, it took me out of it. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I totally forgot that happened. Like, when I was hearing a documentary, I was hearing, like, the interviews. But, yeah, they actually frame it like they have, like, talking head moments. Yeah. Um, and it now, like, it reminds me, thinking back on it, it reminds me of that... Um, what was the movie? Popstar? Yeah. With um, whatever the guy's name is. Andy Samberg. Yeah. Which is done well, and like, cause it, it's cause, cause, cause that's supposed to be a documentary. Yeah. This is not. This is just like what's actually happening, plus these stupid documentary parts inserted into it. So that part really bothered me. Getting over that part, I do think this has some interesting stuff to say. Like you said about fame, what I think struck with me the most, even though it was delivered in the stupid documentary parts, was they talked about like the power of television and how it reduces things to like one moment. And so, like, you can take down someone like Richard Nixon, who accomplished a lot and who, of course, did a lot of bad things, but who still have, like, a decent amount of clout with um, probably some Americans, right? But you, you can sort of destroy him by just catching, like, one moment of hesitation or, like, one moment where he's off guard. And it's interesting because, like, I was a broadcaster and I was a major, and I think the reason why I don't want to do broadcast that much anymore is because of that, because there is a little bit of an artifice and a little bit of smoke and mirrors when it comes to things like that. Um, and it doesn't really let you dig in and explore as much as maybe print does, or even, like, radio. Um, but anyway, I thought that was good. Outside of that, it, this really never felt like anything more than just, like, a decent period piece to me. 
um, it never really like took off and reached like that that extra level of like ah oh, this is a good movie. It's not a bad movie. It's fine. Franklin Jail is good. Michael Sheen's good. I just kind of wish that there was a little bit more. I wish we got a little bit more of Nixon actually. I feel like this is very much about Frost and not enough about Nixon. I feel like the point is that because it's about Frost, it's also about Nixon. But I wish we got a little bit more of Nixon. I wish he felt a little bit more imposing, like a little bit more of a force of nature. I, and I wish we got more of the interviews too. I wish there was just a little bit more of that because outside of that, it just didn't really feel like there was enough of a story to carry it for like however long it was, like two hours or however long. It felt like it should be close to like 90 minutes or whatever. So it just felt like it was a little thin in that regard. I would say overall, not to cut Lars off, but to cut Lars off. <laughs> overall, I did not enjoy this movie. Like, I would not recommend it. I would not watch it again. I didn't, I didn't feel compelled during any part of it. Um, so just take that as you will. I disagree. <laughs> um, I think this movie cuts best with, like, the nuances. I, I will concede that, like, the documentary thing, um, I think it does help some stuff. I'm not sure it's necessary. Um, I, I think it helps sort of set the stage for, like, kind of why Frost is important. And so it's, like, initially, like, Frost's villain isn't really Nixon. It's kind of James Reston, which is the Tom from Succession's character. Yeah. Um, or no, no, no. It's uh, uh, <laughs> Dancy McGee's character. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell's character. Um, he's like obsessed with taking Nixon down. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Um, and, and, but Frost like knows that he can't just make like a martyr out of Nixon. Mm-hmm. He has to make... like He has to like find, reconcile this truth. And I, I just think the dialogue throughout this like, the, like middle chunk where they're like trying to build their case for how to do that... Um, it's really interesting like you said about the TV and like what TV can do it's like Nixon never would never apologize for what happened but like you kind of get at least like an acknowledgement of what happened mm-hmm. and like yeah the close up you kind of see him sweat and that's why he has to have a little so he can dab his brow <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, 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 it's very I, I like the dialogue I like the back and forth I like what it says about villainy and truth in America yeah there you what, go. What, I, I guess my whole thing is that I feel like the, the documentary bits it's like it's very much telling and not showing um, it's just like adding things they couldn't come up with a clever cleverer way to portray and like not really trusting the audience to pick up on certain things which I find just very annoying um, it's like it's like having someone explain to you twice I don't know mm. but that's just me. Um, I'm also wondering if that... I've never seen the interviews themselves, and I wonder if it would be a more impactful movie if I had that coming in. Like, if I watched the progression of how the move, the interviews actually turned out, and then I got to see the background of it. All four hours of them. I definitely... <laughs> I watched them. I, well, yeah, I, 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 watched. I would, like, maybe watch them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Anything else on for us next one? It's just a great story. He was a foreign, like, talk show host, and he, like, has to confront the most powerful man, the most famous man in the world, you know? I don't well, Michael Sheen's the best. I so. agree it's a great story. I just don't know that it's portrayed effectively. Okay. Or completely effectively. I don't think it's a bad movie. It just, like you said, it's a, it's a movie I don't think I ever have to watch again, 
because I just don't. I will. I will never really want to. Like, and not like it's not in the sense where it's like you get this away from me. Just like this is this doesn't. It just doesn't really do much for me at the moment. Anyway, nominated did not win anything. Nominated for editing, adapted screenplay. Frank Langell was nominated for best actor. Ron Howard for best director was nominated for best picture. Let's move on now to another historical thing, Milk. Directed by Gus Van Sant, written by Dustin Lance Black, starring Sean Penn, Emile Hirsch, Josh Brolin, Diego Luna, Allison Pill, Victor Garber, Dennis O'Hare, Joseph Cross, and James Franco. Milk is the story of Harvey Milk, a gay rights icon in the United States. It sort of tracks his evolution from like a, a, a kind of buttoned-up guy um, working... Um, and uh, like he an insur- insurance company. I think he sold life insurance. Yeah. Um, in New York, and then he meets James Franco. They fall in love. They run away to San Francisco together. He opens up a photography shop and he becomes involved in local politics. Eventually, he becomes basically the most well-known, I would say, gay politician in the country. He he tries to be the first gay man elected to public office or openly gay man elected to public office in the United States, um, and he fights a lot of things, including. Um, like a measure in California that would basically allow sexual orientation-based discrimination in the workplace and also the efforts of James Bro- Josh Brolin's character who is sort of like the the like more the most right-wing member of like the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and kind of his foil throughout the whole thing. is also told through a framing device from him recording his like diaries basically to tape in the event that he is killed. Which, spoiler alert, he is killed eventually by Josh Brolin's character. Which is crazy. <laughs> it is insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. a council member kill another council yeah. member. Yeah. yeah. Was that like, I feel like that must have been like the last major assassination in the United States. Like political assassination. Uh... Like the closest would be like Gabby Giffords. I'll think of one. I, I, guess, <laughs> I, guess, I guess Reagan. There was like an attempt on Reagan. An attempt on Bush with yeah, that shoe. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Um, anyway, Milk, um, I'll start, because this is my first time seeing it. This movie was, I, I kind of feel similar-ish the way I feel about Frost Nixon, where I think this movie's pretty good, but at the same time doesn't really do anything for me. Um, I think this is actually a very fascinating time in American history. I think this story is really interesting. I would love like David Simon to do like what he did for the wire and like Baltimore politics, like to do like 60s, 70s San Francisco politics, like in the style of the wire. I think that'd be awesome. Um, Sean Penn's great in this. He f- absolutely deserved the Oscar. He ended up winning. I think the Josh Brolin angle is really interesting. The thing is, I actually think Josh Brolin's character is more interesting than Harvey Milk in a lot of ways. Um, Cause this idea of like, Get elected to public office, totally go crazy, kill your fellow like you know supervisors, like insane. Um, which is not to discount you know Harvey Milk and how important he was, but I just don't know that this is told in like a very compelling way. Not in the sense that's like boring, it's just like it's very like it's just very meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. There's some cool flourishes like when they're driving out of San Francisco, they use these kind of like Super Eight style cameras to show them driving in the car. Um, Gus Van Zandt, I realize, really likes reflections. He has some cool things with, like, reflections. Like, he has that one scene where it's, like, the, the guy is, like, killed walking down the street and, like, his, his rape whistle, essentially, is lying on the ground and you see, like, them talking about it, like, the reflection of the whistle. That's cool. Um, but, like, I actually found the assassination seem very underwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
and and there's a, a lot of it is it's it's you're supposed to sort of like I think I feel be swept up by the collective action of the people involved, and some of that is very invigorating, and and the way you know he kind of like Harvey Milk kind of like engineers his his rise to to prominence and, and like his his keen political mind, but it was good. It was just like. Again, this is a movie I don't know that I'm ever going to watch again, not because it's bad, but just because I feel like I got all, I got all that I could get out of it. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. <laughs> um, I actually have very little to say about this right? movie. Yeah. I, I think it's very well portrayed. I think it's told really well. He definitely deserved the Oscar. Um, I think it's an important movie. Yeah, like I, I think oh, this yeah. is like an important movie to have come out. It's an important story to tell. Especially they tell like, it very well, especially like when it came out. Yeah, which was like this was before I think. You know, it was better than it was in the sixties and seventies, but it was before like most of the country I feel came around to mm-hmm. LGBT rights. But yeah, go on. Um, all of that, like I have, I don't really have anything bad to say. Um, I, it's just important, and that's kind of all. Yeah. Um, the. <laughs> Um, like, I wish I could give it a more stirring defense, because I do think it's good. Um, one scene I kind of like <laughs> is when he is, like, he and Josh, he's working with, he's trying to get Josh Brolin and him to, like, work on a thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the other council members, uh, who knows, and, like, Josh Brolin invites them all to, like, his baby, sh- baby mm-hmm. shower, um, or baptism or whatever. His um, baby's baptism. Yeah, his baby's, <laughs> baby's baptism. His own baptism. Um, and like, Milk is the only one who shows up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, where are they? I'm the only one who came here and cares. Um, and I think that's a nice, like, retail politics yeah. moment of like, oh, mm-hmm. he does this. America, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's good. That's it. I pretty much concur. I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed the performance, I think, mostly. Um, all of the supporting performances, to be honest, I was not super crazy about. <laughs> you hated Diego Luna. Oh, I did hate his him. His second boyfriend. But I hated his character more than yeah. that performance. Yeah. Um, I think just Harvey Milk was too smart to have been wrapped up with someone like him, but he's also a very compassionate guy, so I understand how I that agree. happened. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I think he's probably, like, on Enneagram, perhaps a type two, like, very, like, heart forward. Um or maybe a three even, probably a three. Um, but I really liked the performance. I liked hearing this story because I did not know a lot about it before. So I think that it was like a really good cursory introduction. I think it's a good movie to like play. Um, one, I did not really like the narration of him recording his diaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fine. I wasn't opposed to it. But whenever like we flipped back to that, I was just kind of like, it took me out of the story and I didn't really enjoy that. Um, I think it's a really good, like, cursory introduction to the situation. So, like, I could see it being played in, like, a high school or middle school, like, history class. Um, just when you're trying to portray, like, the importance of a story. I especially think, like, in this day and age where, like, homosexuality is, like, more widely accepted and normalized. I think it was a good way of showing how it really was not. And it was not that long ago. So, I liked that, um... I actually liked the assassination scene. I liked that it wasn't, like, super climatic. I feel like it was kind of real. Yeah. Like, an assassination never has, like, an orchestra buildup in yeah. real life. But it's very just like, hey, pop! <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I feel like it was, I guess, too in between. Or, like, it wasn't just him going up going, pop, and then walking away. But, like, it was... There was, like, some dramatization of it. It's, like, because it's, like... 
he gets shot and like don't like church bells clang or something like something happens I don't remember no, that specifically um, but I did enjoy the like the swiftness of it mm. um, I liked how they showed the mayor getting assassinated or just like he goes into the room you hear like a tussle yeah and then like and then like he leaves yeah and he was like oh, I'll see it like I thought that was pretty good yeah you know? Um, I thought his performance was pretty good too. In that Josh Brolin. Yeah. yeah. Very, um, very good. That's all I have to say. I'm like, if you're a seventh grade student, I highly recommend this movie. Do I? <laughs> I don't remember how old you are in seventh grade. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I, everyone should watch this movie. I yeah. think if you're looking for a primer on like the like early gay rights movement. Yeah. Or whatever. I think it's good. Like, you know what I do think it is? You like archival footage really well. Where like it shows, oh, yeah, um, you know, like police raids on gay bars and and like Anita Hill's whole thing. Yeah. And not Anita Hill. Anita Other Bryant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anita Hill's very different. Um, like all of that. I, I think it uses it, does it really well because it's just like, like crap. Like that's like a thing that happened like yeah. not very long, long ago. ago. <laughs> um, um, which is like hard to conceive of now, I guess. But. Which is it's interesting too. Like again, like you're saying when it came out, this was like an aside from the movie, but I'll throw it in here. Um, I was in seventh grade, um, and even when I was in middle school, like in two thousand eight, mm. um, it wasn't like oh my god, that person's homosexual. Like it wasn't people didn't dislike that, mm-hmm. but it was also like the era where. Adam Lambert coming out on American Idol was a huge right, deal. Right. It's like you didn't have a lot of like gay icons mm-hmm. um, that were like normalized and well known. It's like mm-hmm. you didn't have RuPaul's Drag Race or anything like that. Yeah. So I think that yeah, I think it's a good primer into yeah. that world and it was good for the time period it came out in. It was like right on the precipice of it going mainstream a lot. Yeah. Because I yeah, Adam Lambert thing that's funny you mentioned it because I do remember that being like. Her mother really likes Good Morning America. And that being like an interview about Good Morning America and him being like, I was like never in the closet really. It's yeah. like, I just, I never said anything because I didn't feel like I had to. I just kind of am. Which is like, I feel like that was a big step. I feel like Jim Parsons did the same thing. Yeah. Like that was a big step in all of it. But we're three straight people talking about it, so we really know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, I will say, I kind of feel like if there were, like, a movie that, like, everyone should have to watch, like, of all the movies we've watched this year, I don't know, like, I struggle to think of anything that's, like, oh, I would make every high schooler in America watch this, mm-hmm. other than, like, maybe this, maybe, like, The Pianist. But, like, I feel like this is kind of more... Like, I kind of feel like everyone in America should watch this movie, and I, I do not have the same feeling about Fargo. I think everyone should, but I wouldn't, like, make them. Right. I would, like, play this movie in schools. Yeah. yeah. I would make this part of a curriculum. Right. Because um, I think the best time to watch it, honestly, is when you're a little bit younger. Yeah. It's one of those things, too, where it's like, yeah, because it's a story that is, I feel like, in in mainstream scholarship and in sort of, like, schooling, like, that story still being, like, built. It's yeah. like, we, like, I went to high school, and we didn't learn anything about the gay rights movement, mm-hmm. really, like, a little bit, but not really. Like, it was all in the context of the AIDS crisis and things like that. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like... I feel like there's not a lot of other popular media about this, mm-hmm. and that's what makes this important. Was that, yeah. You know, it's like, I feel like in middle school or high school, you get like that one movie about the woman's right to vote, or they're all Iron Jot Angels. Yes, you yeah. get that one movie, you should have this one movie as well. Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, like, you probably watch, like, Apollo 13 or something, too. Like, you know, yeah. there's, like, the standard movies that are just, like, mm-hmm. we learned this section, now watch this. Yeah. It should be that movie. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Milk? Nope. Okay. Weird name, you know? Yeah. Fun <laughs> fact, he was a Republican for, like, the first half of his life. Uh, um, we all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Milk was nominated for original score, costume design, editing, one best original screenplay. If you've never seen Dustin Lance Black's acceptance speech for this, watch it. It's very touching. Um, Josh Brolin was nominated for supporting actor. Sean Penn won best actor. Gus Van Zandt was nominated for best director and was nominated for best picture. Let's move on now to The Reader. Directed by Stephen Daldry, not Stephen Furs. I always get that confused. Uh, written by David Hare, based on the novel Der Vorlesser by Bernhard Schlick, Schlink, rather, starring Kate Winslet, Ray Fiennes, David Cross, Lena Olin, and Bruno Gans. Uh, the reader is the story... It, this is also told in the flashback from Ray Fiennes' perspective as he's preparing to meet his daughter for dinner or whatever, his estranged daughter, basically. Um, and it starts with him as a young child in like a, like post-war Germany, like 1958. Um, he's very sick. He has, like, scarlet fever. This woman sort of, like, cleans him up, takes him, and gets him home. Played by Kate Winslet. She's, a, like, a bus conductor or whatever. Um, eventually, he gets better. He goes to thank her. Um, and they interact a bunch of other times, and they end up forming this romantic sexual relationship. He's, like, 15, 16. She's, like, in her late thirties, early 40s, something like that. Um, eventually, they break up. He goes off to law school. Um, he's in this seminars that's discussing sort of German guilt in the Holocaust. And part of the seminar is they're going to a trial where a bunch of SS prison guards are on trial for murdering a bunch of Jewish people. Um, and one of the people on trial is Kate Winslet. And he has to wrestle with the fact that um, he, this woman he had a relationship with is on trial for heinous war crimes. And also he might have evidence that could lead to her exoneration. Um, that's it in like half a nutshell. I think we'll unpack the rest of the plot later. Lars, what did you think of the reader? Okay. <laughs> My thought on this movie is, has this ever happened to you? And I would answer, kind of. This has kind of happened to me. No, just kidding. But like, not really. Um, first of all... Love Ray Fiennes. Oh my god. Love Kate Winslet. They're like the two most beautiful people in the world. Um, Okay. (laughs) I'll start by reading my Letterboxd review, which I think captures it nicely. (laughs) Love is very strange and confusing, and it hurts, and it makes us question ourselves, and feel things that we wouldn't expect. This movie is that exact same way. Is I think it makes us question ourselves, and make us think about things that we wouldn't expect to think about, and we get a little confused watching it sometimes. Um, I also think it's really good. <laughs> I think it's great. So she can't read is yes. her deal, and that's why he has exonerating evidence. Um, yeah, it's he, she, she never explicitly says she can't read. The thing is, is like he's like when they're doing their thing, she's like, oh, like what are you learning in German? Because they're in Germany, so they call English class German. Um, and he's like, oh, we're reading like the Odyssey or whatever. And he's like, oh, can you read it to me? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you can read it too. And she's like, no, I like to prefer to be read to. And the the like the the smoking gun in this case was like a report written by the prison guard saying that they left these like like concentration camp prisoners. They like locked them in a church while the church was on fire, and a bunch of them died. And 
it was signed by all of them, but the the case rests on like her having written it. Yeah. Of course, she's illiterate, so she can't do that. And David Cross's character at this point knows that, but he struggles with her not to reveal reveal that and exonerate her. But go on. Um. Yeah, it's it's. It, uh, and it, it clearly, I think the point of this movie is like the effect that people have on you, and that's mm. why the movie kind of ends with him like telling the story to his daughter and like taking her to taking the daughter to Kate Winslet's character's grave and like explaining like who she was and why she was important to him. Um, I like that. I think that's a nice. So they reconnect. She goes to jail, and they sort of reconnect by writing letters as he starts sending her like kind of. Audiobook equivalents of yeah, he, he records him reading his entire library basically. Yeah, um, and so they sort of and she learns to read by doing it through that. Yeah, so they sort of reconnect, and it's like this. He's sort of like he's you know late middle aged at this point, and he's kind of alone and sort of trying to grapple with that feeling, the fact that he kind of still like has feelings for her. Um, she's obviously alone in jail. Um, and it's like weird. I I was honestly very moved by it. I found it very moving. Um, it's like this is someone who clearly had a huge effect on him when he was younger, um, and then it just ended abruptly, and like he went through the rest of his life kind of. I, I just I I don't know. It, this this was like one of the most important. This is like a seminal moment in his life, and it clearly. Matter and he has to grapple <laughs> with the fact that then it comes up in the weirdest, most public <laughs> way possible. Um, so that part I don't relate to, but like, um, I mean, if every ex I had could be tried for Nazi crimes, I think that would be that would be very interesting. Um, that that we'll talk more, Kathleen. <laughs> okay. Well, I really like this movie too. I actually really, I did not think I was going to like this movie because mm. I knew kind of the premise of what was it about and I thought it was just going to be really disturbing and it was. Um, but I like was really into this movie for different reasons than Lars. I thought it was more interesting about their relationship, not the love aspect at all, but just the dynamic between the two of them and then what later you begin to learn about her. Um, she always has a type of power play with his character. She calls him kid and he is a child compared to her. But despite the fact that they're engaged in this adult relationship, um, they even go on trips together, whatever he reads to her. Like it's very much like she constantly has power over him. If she's upset, like it's his fault. Like there's a lot of stuff like the, their dynamic is so unbalanced and it's so unhealthy. Also the first time that they end up sleeping together it's, I wouldn't call it non-consensual, but she definitely came onto him in a non-consensual way. And him being 15 at the time, I don't think you can trust his consent, especially with the way that she approached him. So I thought that was incredibly unhealthy and I didn't take it as love. I took it as actually a very scarring experience that he was confusing as love. Um, and he would, because he was like getting something really adult and mature out of this, and obviously like pleasant and enjoyable. And he was bringing her apparent joy by reading to her. But I couldn't escape the feeling that she was using him explicitly for the reading. Like, I don't think she ever had emotional ties to him. And I think that's incredibly, like, very un- largely unhealthy. And I, for that reason, I do not think you can. 
I think he had obsession. I don't think he had love. And I think that like having that happen to you at a very young age and then never actually overcoming it or like talking about it or like reconciling it later in your life, that's a scarring and isolating experience. That's And that's the reason it lasts. It's not because I've loved this person. I can never love someone else ever that much ever again. Um, and I think you see that in the fact that he is distant from, you know, the girl he ends up dating in college, who I think is the same girl he ends up marrying. No, it's not. No. person he ends up marrying, their marriage doesn't work out. He's never close to his daughter. Like, he's a very isolated person. And I think a lot of it has to do with a disturbing situation that he was in. Um, and this is even before, like, that he learns who she was. Then you learn who she is. And her trying to defend herself in that in the trial was very much like I think you could draw a lot of lines back to how she was in their relationship where she took like no responsibility for anything I disagree she's the only one who takes responsibility well she doesn't she she's does. the only one who says yeah we were under orders the rest of them are like oh I don't know I think she's the only one who takes responsibility. but the way she it's not like oh yeah we were under orders it was very much just like well, we couldn't have saved them. We were responsible for them. There would have been... There was no compassion in that. Yeah. Because this entire case, and I think they mentioned it, wasn't built... It's like law versus compassion. There's a whole, like, struggle with that. Yeah, about like morality. Bruno Gatti, yeah, where he's like, people think that society's run by morality, but it's really run by laws. Yeah. yeah. So you see that coming into play because, you know, the case against her was, like, morality. And she's like, but I was... I was contra... Like, in my like I was obligated to do this job I was contracted to do this job and I think very much like that you can see that mentality in the relationship she had with him because it wasn't like I don't care about you I want you to read to me and that's why we're doing this and she walked away and she didn't care because it wasn't for her it wasn't about him it was about their like sit like their agreement in a way she was using him exactly and you even learn that she had like um some of the younger children who were in the concentration camps read to her and everyone thought that was a sign of compassion like she's going to like you know keep like save these girls or like keep them safe but she ends up killing all of them Hmm. so i i would not call this love i think it was an incredibly disturbing story and i think it's a very interesting look at like relationship dynamics and also just a fucked up human being um so yeah, that's how I really like this movie though. I think he loved her. I do not. He he might have loved her. I think later in life, I yeah, think. for sure. So here's like my whole thing. I, I I have a lot of things with this movie. I'm the odd one out. I don't really like it. Um, so I, I, when he realizes that like oh she's illiterate and I can reveal this and the whole thing, and he tells his professor played by Bruno Gans about it, and I, the most interesting part to me is the whole trial part because yeah. it not only talks about like the, what's actually happening with the characters but the idea of like how do the German people deal with the fact that they were basically tacitly complicit with the extermination of like six million people um, like the, the one scene where like they're after the trial and they're very upset in like the, the classroom and the one guy is like the fact that like you like the prior generation didn't when they found out didn't like all kill themselves like is like insane to me and people are just like so clearly upset like it felt mm-hmm. very real to me um, but he, he, he basically comes to the professor like hey like you know um, I think I know something that could help out one of the defendants 
and he's like, well, he's like, if you don't learn from people like, he's like, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. He's like, well, if you don't learn from people like me, him being people who stood by and watched the Holocaust happen, he's like, well, then what's the whole point? Like, being like, you need to speak up because, like, there's a whole generation of people who didn't speak up on, like, what happened. Mm. The problem is that he doesn't speak up. Mm. He doesn't learn his lesson. <laughs> he just, like, he goes, but then he realizes he can't handle talking to her, so then he leaves. Which, I don't really know, like, what, this seems to ignore the central lesson of, like, the Holocaust, which is, like, speak up when something's happening, right? Um, so, yeah. Like, I, that part doesn't work for me. Um, and there's also later on, so a lot of the testimony is, like, hinging on uh, this, like, one Holocaust survivor who, like, writes a book about it and is able to, like, point be like, these people were all the guards there. And so after... That's what happens at the end. Is like she learns to read. They have this whole thing. She's gonna get let out on good behavior, even though she has a life sentence. Um, but um, she kills herself before that can happen, and she leaves a bunch of money um, for uh, Ray Fines and be like, "Hey, give this to you know the woman who survived, and tell her to do it. That you know, do whatever she wants." And so he brings it to her. And she's like, look, like, I can't give this to, like, a Holocaust organization because that would seem like I'm absolving her and, like, I'm not willing to do that. And I, that's not, like, I can't. Like, that's, I'm, I'm, that's, I don't have the right to do that. Um, and so then he's like, oh, like, well, why don't I do it to literacy? She's like, that's fine. But, like, I feel like they do try to absolve her is the problem. Mm-hmm. I feel like to try to paper over being like, oh, she was so ashamed of being illiterate that, like... It, it never she they, she they never show her wrestling with what she did yeah there, there's never any point where she is like because she takes it so matter of fact she's like well what would you do yeah. and I think there's a point in that where it's like <clears throat> I do think there's a like there's this other movie called Sophie Scholl which is about like the German resistance and this like student group that was like anti-Nazi and there are courtroom scenes in that and they're not actually trials right it's just like a Nazi judge like yelling at the people and like admonishing them and I feel like there are actually some parallels to that like the war crimes trial where it's like this is not really it's about justice but it's also about like these people who didn't do anything getting the chance to basically like point the finger at someone else and blame someone else for what happened Mm -hmm. you know even though they didn't literally pull the trigger like it makes them feel better knowing that well I'm doing something now after the fact and I think that's kind of an interesting thing to unpack but it's it like I don't know it just like never really I think that's like a worthy point but we also never get a moment where it's like this woman's a monster and like she probably deserves to fry, you know. I'm surprised she yeah. wasn't sentenced to the death penalty. They might not have it in Germany. Oh. Yeah. Um, I I have kind of a different read. I don't think it's really about her at all, and I kind of think the trial is important to it, but it's almost. I, the story's about him. It's about him, like, yeah. grappling with this relationship and, like, the effect it had on him. I kind of think you could have done the trial any number of different ways and had sort of a very similar story. He definitely wants to absolve her because I think he cares. And he does know that she can't read. So there is, like, not complete... <laughs> he knows that she's not the one who wrote the letter, at least. Yeah. Um, and I think he doesn't understand why she didn't bring that up um but I, yeah I, I think it's about him i don't think it's about her i think that's fair but what i think the movie does a bad job of, i think the movie tries to make it about her i think the movie is really into the idea of like 
Kate Winslet's gonna win an Oscar for this. Mm. This is Kate's moment. So like the scene where like she starts to learn how to read is so bad. It's so bad. It's so where it's like because he's reading like the 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 little the lady with the little white dog or whatever, and he's like the and she like circles the and circles all the other <laughs> the's on the page. It's like are you like freaking kidding me? Like this is bad. Like this is yeah. such like an Oscar bait bullshit move. Um, and it it just like it, it feels so like. This is my thing with like almost all the movies this year is they're so prestige. They're so engineered to like be so like middle brow acceptable and to get all like awards praise and just be like this is a baseline important movie that everyone should watch and it has this like like this like gloss over it that's like ah uh, and I feel this way about like Milk and Frostnicks and Curse Kids Adventure One too right it's just like it's it's just painted over with this baseline Hollywood competence and doesn't really ever endeavor to go higher than that. And I feel like the reader is just such a, to me at least, like a cynical play for like Oscar's attention. And that's like, I just can't abide. I, I get that. <laughs> I have my response now. Yeah. I agree with Lars that it is not about the trial. And mm-hmm. that's actually where my, I had two struggles with this movie. Um, the first one was about how they conducted the trial. Um, clearly it's not about the trial because he stopped showing up to lectures. Um, he never actually engages with the, like, with the, um, conversation around the trial. All he, whenever they're in the trial, all he does is look at her and everybody points that out. He, like, the trial is just, like, that is just, like, a foil in their relationship. It's not actually about like, it's not a crux of the movie. And I think that they did a poor job in making it seem like it was going to be a larger part of the movie, mm-hmm. especially with that, where that other student is just like, well, why didn't you all kill yourself when you found out? Like, that kind of thing. He's, like, very upset by it. Um, it seems like in that, it seems like that scene was coming from a different movie. Um, whenever they tried to make it about the trial, it just seemed very um, disingenuous to the movie. I and that's why like I took this as very much a reading of a fucked up relationship and like that's all I could and I think because her participation in the Holocaust and her testimony and trial showed how incredibly flawed she is as a human and how like he is pining after someone who is really not capable of making the connection that he thought that they had or that they wanted and so when she goes to prison and learns to read and is like that that I thought was really important for him to do, his character to do, because it shows how hopelessly tied he is to this woman. Like he's not even reaching out to his daughter, right? He's reaching out to this woman who was a fucking Nazi, right? And who left him and who like, some might argue raped him. Like, you know, like it wasn't a healthy relationship. He, you know, pushes aside his entire family for this woman. Um, her acting in that where she's like I'm gonna be good now and read that was so dumb <laughs> I hated every part of that but I Actually, I don't think it was very good in this movie is my I, hot take I would agree <laughs> but I I like I see this movie as having so much potential and there were parts of it that I really enjoyed for the aspect of looking at their relationship and a young boy falling in love for the first time in an unhealthy relationship and how that impacts the rest of his life yeah so. I guess my thing is, like, you can make a compelling story about this relationship. You can make a compelling story about how Germany was trying to cope with the Holocaust. I just don't know that they have a place to coexist. I don't know. And that's why I think that, like, I think it's interesting that she 
was a Nazi and put on trial, but I wish that they took the like they I wish they didn't put in the conversation about how is Germany trying to cope. Yeah, you know, and this is based on like a, a book, and I, I I have a feeling is that like the book probably does a better job of it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to read like it. seems like something you can explore better in a book, and I feel like this is just a really poor adaptation, is my guess, and probably just imbalanced in like how it deals with certain things, but. Yeah, just just not for me, um, Lars. You're you're writing away. I'm preparing in, for my next movie. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so we're good. We're good on the reader. We've yeah. We're good. No, I'm good on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we have some disagreement though. It makes it much more interesting. Um, she looks weird when she's old. Yeah, <laughs> the old age makeup's weird. It almost makes it look like they. It almost looks like they like shrunk her too. Yeah. Yeah. It was Which a bad. Maybe it's affected, but her eyes are like too piercing. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, like it. it was bad. It was nominated for cinematography, nominated for adapted screenplay. Kate Winslet did win best actress. Stephen Daldry was nominated for best director. It was nominated for best picture. All right, wrapping things up this year is Slumdog Millionaire, uh, directed by Danny Boyle. Written by Sam Simon Beaufoy, based on the novel Q and A by Vicka Swarup, starring Dev Patel, Frida Pinto, Matt Hermital, Anil Kapoor, and Efron Khan. Another framing device. Um, this one it is about um, a guy named Jamal who is on the Indian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Um, and he knows answers to pretty much all the questions, and we see how he this is all told through flashbacks through his childhood and his young adulthood and we basically learn how he knows all these questions um and it's about him sort of like capturing the attention of a nation because he's just kind of like this lowly like tea, coffee boy or tea boy I guess they don't really drink coffee in India um and him like getting like the nation's attention his story of like being uh, he's orphaned at a young age and he and his brother come up his brother is kind of like very violent and gangstery. Um, he falls in love with Frida Pinto's character. Um, they get separated for a long time. It's a big star-crossed lovers thing. And then his brother gets involved with like, organized crime. He doesn't. There's like a whole whole thing going on. Um, Kathleen, this was your first time seeing this? Yeah. What did you think? I really don't have a lot to say about this movie. I did not enjoy it. Um, I My main thing was like I didn't like the um, pace of this movie. It's very frenetic. Yeah, and I really just couldn't. I just couldn't stand it. Yeah. Um, it's they do have the the framing device of he's being um, uh, interrogated. I guess. Would you yeah, say? yeah. Because they think yeah. he's cheating. Yeah. Because they're like, how on, does this on, like? On how does this guy know all of this stuff? Even yeah. the how does the slumdog become a millionaire? The questions weren't that hard. Like, was did anyone else think that? Like, I didn't know I mean, the answers I didn't to know them the answer. because I don't live in India. But I must like. They seemed like things that if the, the American versions would have been, like, relatively common yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not, that's not why I didn't like this movie. Um, I just... So, I just... There wasn't... There wasn't equal or comparable time given between the moments of the interrogation and the storyline in between. So, it just felt, like, really jostling. And I... I mean, like, his... The progression of his age was relatively fine. I thought that was... That was fine but just the jumping back and forth between the interrogation and the other stuff was honestly in my opinion dizzying some of the camera work was dizzying um there's a lot of candid angles for really no reason yeah and i just i did not enjoy the cinematography i this one felt very oscar beatty to me personally i i, I disagree. disagree okay fine whatever <laughs> i mean like yes and no 
It was. It seemed too like cutesy. It was very cutesy. And I just didn't like it. Um, I just don't like this movie. As cutesy as a movie where like the blind children could be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was not cutesy for the content of the movie. Yeah. It was cutesy for like the concept of it, the. Music it was. Movie. It was. It was supposed to be very like rah rah crowd pleasing. Like yeah. it's very much like a movie like directed at like a mainstream audience and and trying to be like this isn't like in trying to be like whoa India like mm-hmm. you know and it's kind of like I feel like my least favorite parts is that like just kind of like whoa Taj Mahal like it just kind of like goes through like everything it was like Forrest Gumpy too yeah yeah like I didn't enjoy that every like stereotype and like notable thing about India that like a normal like American or British person would know I feel is kind of like thrown in there it was that it was also um like the star cast lovers thing and just like it was very like again trying to make a love story out of something that could feasibly not be a love story Mm. even though I didn't really hate the love story I just didn't really like any of this movie um, yeah, I, I think that it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, at its core, I think there's, like, an interesting story. It's kind of like the Indian city of God, almost, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, a coming-of-age story in, like, the Brazilian slums. Um, and and there's, like, a lot of, like, I do feel, like, the opening sequence is pretty good, where it's, like, they're getting, all these kids are getting chased by, like, the police or whatever. Um, the whole thing's a little gimmicky. It's a little contrived. But the thing is, like, it's still, like, kind of effective. Like, yeah. and the thing that my whole thing is, like, intellectually, I don't know that it's, like, a huge achievement, but from, but it, like, does its job. Like, even, like, there's one scene where he tries to, like, phone a friend for, like, I think the last question. Yes. Because um, he, yeah, he tries to call. He tries to call his brother, who's in the, the process of, like, in a gunfight with, like, the gangster he works for. But the woman he loves took the phone. It took, took the phone. She hears a ring. She's, like, running to it. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, they, they created, like, this huge tension of, like, this person trying, like, on a game show, like, trying to run to the phone. Like, and, like, it worked really well. Yeah. I think um, their conversation was really nice, too, where it was just, like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like, whatever. It was, yeah. like, but I will say that phone rang for too long. <laughs> Phones do not run for too long. And I think that scene, because of that, was just drawn out too much. Yeah. Um, I don't think Dev Patel's very good in this, actually. I don't think he gives, like, a suit. But he also, I don't, and I guess this, I don't really like movies about fate. Like, I like, I like my characters to have some agency. Um, and I feel like a lot of times he's not really making a lot of, sometimes he he just feels like a, like a, like a, a subject and supposed, no, 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 like an object, like being treated to all these kinds of different things. And like, literally the movie, it's like, it's like. Oh, it's like it's written, like it's written that you're gonna you're gonna win all this, and it's like that's just like not super like compelling. Like it's not like it's just like a weird prescriptive. Is it even prescriptive? I don't know. Deterministic kind of like way to view a life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, it's just very sappy and it's like annoying, but it is actually like like I said, it's effective. Like I don't know. It's like it's definitely a movie instead of a film, but it's a very good. It's very good at being a movie. I think so we've been talking how all these movies have kind of like a narrative style mm-hmm. um, I think this one has like the best narrative style is I just think it works like it's such a great idea it's like he's going through a game show and every single question he has to answer is like a reflection on this moment in his life um, it like works I just think it like clicks very very well so I disagree with what Kathleen said about the pacing and <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> it's okay, I disregard your um, opinions anyway. <laughs> um, I mostly agree with you. So. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, 
It's just like, I, so I think the deterministic part is fair, but I think it only kind of happens at the end for a reason. So it's like, he's using like every question is an explanation of how like a life experience like informs what he knows. Um, but it's like, then the last couple questions, like the penultimate question, he honestly does not know the answer. Um, he goes to the bathroom, the host writes the incorrect answer on the mirror to try to like cheat. Um, he like trusts that what he's learned in his life, he like makes an active choice. He's like, I do not trust the institutions. Institutions yeah. have let me down. Yeah. That I'm going to like yes. make a choice and not do this. And that's why they think he's cheating is because mm-hmm. he didn't take the like given answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really good. And that's why, so then there's this conflict with him cheating and was he cheating or not? Um, and then the final answer is like, he honestly doesn't know again that like he's just gonna trust fate on that last one, um, and it's I think that's just a nice little moment. But I think it's the the penultimate question is like the one that matters, and like that. Yeah, he like has to like grab life and like realize that the world was not built for him, but he's gonna seize it and do it. Ugh. <laughs> the bit about the institutions you put in your letterbox for you, I was like, oh, I didn't think about it this way. Yeah. Where it's like, he, he didn't just learn the literal facts, he also learned that, like, the deck is kind of stacked against him, yeah. and there are people who are just going to try and, like, maintain their status in um, the world, like, and, and kind of exploit other people. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I, I would, yes, I think that that's well done. I... I saw this movie in theaters over 10 years ago, I guess, um, and I really did not like it. <laughs> but it was so stupid. Um, now I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but I, from what I've heard and read, it's pretty, like, it's a little, I, don't, I wouldn't say offensive. I just, it's, it's very, like, built for an American audience, what they think India right. is like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so sure parts of it are accurate. It, but very, it seems very, like, surface level. Yeah. India. Yeah. Um, um, like the scene where he like jumps into the poop. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> does that really happen in India? I don't want to know, but you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I guess that was many years ago. What What do we think of the big Bollywood dance sequence at the end? I hated it. <laughs> Bollywood dance sequence at the end. Like, and during the credits, there's the big Bollywood dance oh. sequence. <laughs> um, I don't mind it. I think that's. I I don't know. I thought it was really stupid and corny when I first saw it, but as it was going on, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of fun." Like maybe all movies should end like this. It was <laughs> like, cute. Shrek, like I'll know? give it yeah. that. But it was just. I felt like. Yeah, I feel like if you're making a movie about India, right? Like, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> that's what, like reading about it, it's like that's what they try to do. Is they try to basically like make a take like Bollywood elements and put it into like a. Hollywood movie. Yeah. Um, like the part where they fall off the train and they roll and all of a sudden they're older. It's like apparently a, a common Bollywood mm. thing. Um, um, yeah, so that's that. I, yeah, it, it, it's it's entertaining, you know. Um, the, the, the narrative style is so good. I just, it's, I, I, it's, go I really it. like it. I really like what, it. What do you like about it? It's just like so cool. It's like the entire frame device is like one game show and just like everything that happens is like it's like such a cool way to show flashbacks it's much better than old Kate what's her face in her bed that's true it is yes like it's so much better than the rest of the or like the documentary like we all know this is like unique it's like boom 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 this is my life but we're gonna tell it because I'm on a game show yes and there's like drama and there's the like dun na 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 
Yes. Of all the, of all, I, who wants to be a millionaire always scared me as a kid. Because um, I remember it came out like 1999, 2000, and like my parents watched it a lot. But like it always, like the music always scared me. It's really like, tense. When like the it end, like right before the commercial goes like, Wah! like that always scared me. <laughs> There's like one episode where I could swear there was like a guy's eyes in the background were like glowing. Like this show really freaked me out as a kid. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't the one being thrown in a closet and tortured because I knew all the answers. Um, but yeah, I agree the framing advice. Of all the framing advices this year were the most effective. Uh, was the most effective. But yeah, um, I don't really have a ton else to say about this one. Um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts? No. No. Okay. That was Slumdog Millionaire. Um, it was nominated for sound mixing. It won sound mixing, nominated for sound editing. It was nominated twice for best original song. The first was for Osaya, which is the MIA song in this. The second was for Jai Ho, which won. Um, won original score, editing, cinematography, adaptive screenplay. Danny Boyle won for best director, and of course, it won best picture. All right. The year is now 2009. You are a voting member of the Academy of Art... The Academy of... Arts and Sciences. It's just the Academy of Arts and Sciences? It's not the film academy? What? Motion Picture. <laughs> the, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Oh my god. Uh, I'm on vacation. Anyway. Um, and you get a ballot with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk, The Reader, and Slumdog Millionaire. How do you vote? This is a tough year. I think I genuinely like every single one of these. See, movies. it's tough here for me because all of these annoy me in some way. <laughs> I I, there's one that I actually enjoyed. So, well, then you go. Well, are we gonna list them? Like, do we? Want no, to... no, that's that's next next time. Okay, next time. Um, the reader. Okay. It was like the first, like honestly like. These are all, like, every movie we watch is freaking Lars movie. There is no Kathleen <laughs> movie in, like, the Oscar world. Set this in the hours. <laughs> and Sense and Sensibility. And don't forget. I love Sense and Sensibility. That one we all loved. That, <laughs> the closet. In the bedroom. No, no. It's the terrible one. Are you saying the hours? No. In the bedroom's good. The, like, one that almost destroyed the podcast. Oh, Secrets and Lies. Secrets and Lies. <laughs> that was not a Lars movie. That wasn't a... Okay, <laughs> but that wasn't a Kathleen movie either. Like, I... There is not a lot... Like, the next one like that I know coming up is Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Right? And I have to... How many years do I have to wait for that? And it's like, this is the only one that had <laughs> 10 years. Like, I, this is like the first movie in a long time that had elements that like I actually enjoyed. I'm so freaking sick of watching all of the real movies. Ugh. I think there's actually a movie in the next episode you're going to like a lot. Okay. Um, I think you're going to like an education, but I've actually never seen it, so what do I know? Um, so you would vote for the reader? Yes. Okay. You're still making your decision, Lars? I, I know what I'm going to choose. Okay, what is um, it? I'm gonna go with Frost Nixon. Okay. Um, I think it's. I will. I will stand by that. I think Milk is more important. Okay. I think it's a um, more important story. Frost Nixon is the only one that kind of feels different to me. Is like mm. Milk, Benjamin Button, the Reader, especially. I feel like are all shot the exact same way. Yeah. There's kind of nothing going on, 
like cinematography or like direction wise that's different. Slumdog Millionaire is very different um, and very good, but I think for us Nixon is kind of like a more accurate and like gripping, like I just think it's written kind of better. Um, I I will say I like all of these movies. I really like most of these movies. I think Frost Nixon just kind of like the, the performances are the best in this one. Um, I just it feels different and it tells like an important story about America in a very gripping and like tight way. So shoot me now. I'm That's Frost fine. Nixon. So my thing is I don't really like I like. I don't actively dislike a lot of these movies, but I also really don't actively like a lot of these movies. They're really just okay, verging to bad, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> definitely, I'm not going to give it to the reader. Definitely not going to give it to the curious case of Benjamin Button. Um, Frost Nixon, I think the, the framing device annoys me too much to actually give it to it. So I'm between Milk and Slumdog Millionaire. The thing is, Milk is the, more, is the less annoying movie, but Slumdog Millionaire, I think, was more effective in a lot of ways and and I think see the thing is like I can't tell if I'm being tricked by Danny Boyle and like into thinking Slumdog Millionaire is good if it's actually good mm. um, so I don't really know what to go with um, I think though I'm going to have to go with I think I'm gonna go with Slumdog Millionaire even though there were things about it that annoyed me, I think it's, like I said, the more effective movie, and it's the one that stuck with me longer, um, and I just think it was the most original. Um, this is not like a ringing endorsement, but like I, I just had the most, I liked it the best, even though I didn't really like any of these movies that much. And like, Milk's very good, and I think is also a fine choice, but like, it was, to me, it's too boring to be a Best Picture winner. It's interesting, because you gave Slumdog Millionaire three and a half stars, Mike. I know. I also gave Milk, I think, three and a half stars. Mm. I didn't give any of these movies this year, I think, more than three and a half stars. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, well, we all know how I think about this current crop of nominees. Any other movies that should have been nominated in 2008? Yes. Which one? Um, I mean, this is the year that, like... They famously left a couple out that yes. made them need to change it. Um, so I have three, and then I have a technicality. Okay. Um, Gran Torino absolutely should have been nominated for Best Picture this year. It's like probably the best Clint Eastwood movie, very well portrayed, and I think it like <laughs> I think it deals with issues in a better way than most of. I would argue the last great Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, I bet, and I would probably agree. Yeah, I think that's probably legit. It's like oh, so good, so good. Um, it was supposed to be his last, apparently, but... Well, maybe it should. <laughs> um, unpopular opinion, but I think The Dark Knight should have been nominated <laughs> yes, for Best Picture. Yes. Um, the Hurt Locker did come out in 2008. It doesn't count. But it doesn't count for why. Because it wasn't Academy eligible. It, 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 it like, debuted at a festival in 2008. Gotcha. Okay. But it didn't have its, theatric, its two-week theatrical run. Okay. Yeah. Um, last but not least... I would probably not nominate it for Best Picture, but I think it deserves... <laughs> I would nominate him for... Uh, uh, sorry, there are two, actually. They have the same actor. Um, uh, Tropic Thunder, I would actually nominate for Best Picture. I actually think that's a great movie, and if this were an eight-film um, eight year, like, for sure. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for Best Picture. He was, he was. Um, 
This is also the first year that the Marvel Cinematic Universe starts to exist. Mm -hmm. Iron Man came out. Um, I would nominate it for Best Picture, even though it's one of the greatest movies of all time. But I would nominate Robert Downey Jr. for Best Actor. You could talk me into a Best Picture nomination for Iron Man. Oh, I, 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 I would submit it. I'm just, I'm being, re I'm being realistic. If I'm getting The Dark Knight and Tropic Thunder, I'm probably not getting Iron Man. That's fair. I would definitely put Iron Man and Tropic Thunder. I, I think if you looked back at it now, and they were like, oh my god, this movie changed the scape, the, like, the world, mm. maybe. Like, yeah. if there was, like, an in-looking mm. back. Yeah. So, yes to Gran Torino, yes to The Dark Knight, yes to Iron Man, um couple other movies. Uh, so In Bruges came out this year. Oh, um, yeah. Great movie. Uh, Martin McDonough. Very funny. Very sad. Very Irish. Um, it was not my best original screenplay, but if you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, you can make a case for WALL-E, I think. Um, it won Best Animated Feature. Um, it's never been, like, a favorite of mine, but, you know. And then... It's a little Al Gore for me. <laughs> and then uh, this is... One I don't feel as strongly about, but I think is still a good movie, is Burn After Reading. Um, mm. Coen Brothers movie about a spy in Washington. And I, the Brad Pitt is better in Burn After Reading than he is in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Brad Pitt yes. should have been nominated for Burn After Reading. He's hilarious in that movie. Um, to me, you can definitely see why this, the year afterwards they decide to nominate 10 movies. Because I just feel like... No one really talks about the 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 the, uh, the movies that were actually nominated. They right. only talk about like The Dark Knight and Grand Torino, and I guess Bruges and Burn After Reading and Iron and Iron Man, of course. So you definitely see like yeah, we had to like shake things up and make it a little more special. Yeah. So uh, in that um, vein, it's announcement time. <laughs> which Kathleen, is do you have any? No, I don't. Oh, just no. keep on going. <laughs> yeah. um, in that vein, it's announcement time. So. Yes. After this year, uh, after 2008, the Academy um, adopted rules that basically said that um, instead of nominating five movies for Best Picture, they would nominate ten. Um, and then I believe a few years after that, they were like any, anywhere between, I think, five and ten. Up and to ten. Up to yeah. ten. And it average ended up being like eight. Um, point is, that's a lot of movies. We're still going to do the podcast, obviously. But... Um, instead of talking about all the movies in one episode, that would be insane, and it would take us like three months to do. We're just going to be splitting up into halves. So for 2009, we'll watch the first alphabetical half, um, those first five movies and talk about them, and then the second half, we'll talk about them there, and then we'll pick our winners in that second episode. Um, but because that big shift in the way the Academy operated happened we have decided collectively that this represents the end of the 2000s as far as the Academy is concerned. So our next episode will be our special 2000s recap where we'll review the decade, really eight years that or nine years that were. Um, we'll pick our favorite stuff from there. We'll pick our least favorite stuff from that era. And we'll have a good time. I think actually our 90s recap is one of the better episodes we've ever done. I so, agree. That was a fun one. Right, yeah. So <laughs> We didn't I, have to watch 10 hours worth of movies before it. This is true. Well, um, well it's just not true. We had, we to, had watch, to watch like, like 100 hours. <laughs> so I'm very excited um, to do that. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for that our next episode. We'll talk about what movies we're going to be watching in two th for the 2009 episode in that episode. Um, but thanks so much for listening. This has been the Real Life Oscar Challenge. As always, I'm your host... Mike Levito, um, please follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. You can find me at Letterboxd at Ameramike on Twitter at Mlevito. 
You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. You can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. You can find all of us on thepostwriter.com. Our writings there, our podcasts are also there. And that's that's it. Good good pod. And um, yeah, see ya. See you on the other side, folks. <laughs>